0: All right, very welcome along to another OTB NFL show. It is the Super Bowl preview. We've been waiting all season to find out who was going to be in the big game. And we found out about 10 days ago, so uh, it's not that much of a surprise to find out. It is the Patriots against the Rams. As ever, we are joined on the line from uh, a, a nice and uh, windy and cold Cincinnati by Sam Monson. Sam, how are you?
1: Good, yeah. It's a, it's a frozen hell here right now. Um, minus 20. We're in the middle of a polar vortex, which apparently is the uh, meteorological term for cold as hell um so actually we're not too bad in cincinnati but if you go a little bit further west they've reached the point of temperatures where fahrenheit overtakes celsius and becomes colder so like minus 50 fahrenheit becomes minus 45 celsius or something like that we're minus 20 celsius with some snow blowing and a wind chill taking it down like another 10 or 15 degrees so, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty horrible right now. I saw somebody tweeting about
0: how it had fallen to, like, minus one or minus two in Atlanta, and all of the state organizations had closed, schools were shut, highways were closed. It was like, stay in, whatever you do, don't leave home. Because, obviously, they've never seen this before, or very rarely. Um, does Cincinnati just go, meh, it's a bit cold, off we go, because that's the type of hard-ass
1: people they are? Well... Yeah, most stuff kind of still functions. You know, they're out with the, uh, the snow plows and the gritters on the road and that kind of thing. But the schools shut—not when they get a ton of snow, but the schools shut once they reach a certain temperature because you know, kids can't be standing out waiting for the bus because they'll freeze to death. So once you reach like I think it's minus ten or something, the schools shut because it's just too dangerous to have a kid standing outside for five minutes.
0: Okay, that's fair enough, I suppose. Um, uh, Obviously, the weather's not going to play any impact in uh, this game because it's in a dome, so we don't get the whole uh, build-up that we had to the Kansas uh, City-New England Patriots game when weather was one of those topics. In retrospect, the weather didn't
1: make a blind bit of difference, right? No, not really. But imagine if this was a year ago and we were talking about a Super Bowl in Minnesota and the temperature around the building was minus 60 like they were having hysterics last year, and the temperature was like forty degrees higher than it was, or than it is right now. So that would have been fun. No, you're right, though. the The weather didn't make a huge amount of difference in that game, um, and obviously it's going to make no difference in this game. But the only thing it might do is kind of promote the passing game a little bit more. You know, we've seen the Patriots go to this run-heavy system the past couple of uh, games, in large part, I think, because of the defenses they were facing. But between the Rams' defense and the fact that there's no weather to worry about anymore, I think we might see them be a bit more pass-happy in this game.
0: Okay, before we get to that, there was one other thing that at the start of the year we were going to talk about. Um, The the advent of legal gambling in the States was something that uh, it seemed like there were a bunch of different businesses primed and ready to uh, be involved in and kind of just give... Gamblers' information. How has that played out for PFF over the course of the season? How have your systems and the models for predicting scores? What what level of, of accuracy have you managed to hit?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's slow going for everybody because as much as it's now it, it kind of passed the initial legal hurdle, it's got to go state by state to be kind of opened up as a market. So you know, there, I'm not sure how many states have opened it up right now, but it's it's still a relatively low number and it's going uh, piecemeal through the system. So everybody's kind of jockeying for position to get ready for the point where it does become this total free-for-all um yeah we've had pff green line which is our kind of gambling product working throughout the season and we've had sort of three main areas that we've given picks on the um the the actual line the vegas spread uh the money line which is sort of where the money's going on those and then the over under on those picks uh the over under is the one we struggle on the most i think we're under 50 percent for the over under but we're way above fifty percent on the against the spread picks. That's been our most successful thing. That's the most common one that everybody knows. You know, you pick the Patriots and the points, and that's how you get your your bet that way. That one I think is up at fifty-eight, fifty something like that percent over the season. Um, and then the money line as well. We've been extremely successful on as well. So I think when you're, you know, when you're talking about a gambling product like this, nobody is looking for something that's going to give you. You know, 75, 80 percent. It's all about playing the margins above and around 50. Um, so I think for year one, it's been extremely encouraging. Year two, we'll make some tweaks to it. But the big thing I think for us is to maybe expand it to the college game, where I think the the margins are much bigger because the level of information out there is so much smaller. You know, everybody has data on the NFL, so Vegas typically is not that far off. But when it comes to college, the college game, I think we have way more information than anybody else and we could potentially make some really big inroads there.
0: Yeah, because I I bring it up, because at the the start of the season, um, there was a good piece, uh, I think it might have been on The Athletic this week, saying that very unusually the Rams won the offseason and uh, they've actually managed to reach the Super Bowl because uh, last summer they went on a spending spree, they were trading away their picks to get superstars added to the team. And traditionally, any time a franchise has tried to build... A team that way, it has backfired, there's been chemistry issues in the uh, dressing room, all sorts of reasons why it hasn't worked up to this point, point. Um, and they were one of the shortest odds at the start of the year to be in the Super Bowl, and, and lo, they have managed to follow through on that, which is a fairly remarkable achievement. We, we kind of take it for granted given that they have spent this money on this, these superstar players, but they've got a child coaching them who has managed to <laughs> bond that whole team
1: together. Yeah, and it hasn't been because of those guys that they brought in, you know, by and large, the sort of free agent spending spree they made hasn't really made that big of an impact. And, you know, a guy like and Sue hasn't really come good until the postseason. Uh, Aqib Talib has been missing for a lot of the year as well. He hasn't made an impact. Marcus Peters has been a disaster at cornerback. So if anything, he's been a drag on this team, not a reason they're they're where they are. So, yeah, I think it's a couple of those guys have a chance to make an impact in the biggest game, but they haven't been the reason they've got as far as they have. It's been this system of Sean McVeigh and the offense he's been able to produce, um, let, and, and really how successful that's been. And when they've had hiccups throughout the year, it's been because teams have found at least a way of forcing them to plan B, um, and, and they haven't reacted as well as they might have. I just pulled up the uh, the official numbers for PFF Green Line over the year 56% against the spread, 45 on the over under, and 69 on the money line. So that's. The money line is the thing to hit if you want to make money using this. Yeah, so,
0: like uh, I was saying this last week, but um, I got involved in a, um, a picks competition and I had like, weeks where my picks were absolutely awful. But over the course of the season, I ended up at around uh, 50%, which is exactly what the gambling companies want you to do because that right. way they're making money.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not about um, you know, shooting for something that's going to be 75 80%. There's no sure thing in this. the the game is way too volatile for that. It's about finding a consistent edge. And so far, it looks like PFF Greenline is able to identify a consistent edge. And the the further the year goes on, the stronger that edge is because we have more data on that given season. um, And the the kind of stuff that it puts out is is more predictive because there's a greater wealth of current data supporting it. You know, early in the season, we have to work from the previous year and there's a lot of moving parts and you guys coming in. Um, It's always tricky to to work out exactly what kind of impact that's going to have. But later in the year, that stuff has been strong.
0: Seth Wickersham had a great piece on the Browns and the whole Sashi Brown experiment just recently, where they had very good information from inside. You know, one of those kind of great stories that comes out from a place that you would assume great stories are going to come out of because somebody somewhere is leaking. It's kind of um, a self perpetuating thing. But uh, there was definitely a sense that this was a little bit of uh, the old school in the nfl getting its back on the analytics guys and i'm like you know they that old school just really haven't changed or understood how the nfl has changed in the last couple of seasons
1: yeah i, th- I mean i think that article really just highlighted all the areas of deficiency when you kind of run back home to the old way of thinking you know it was All the things were pointing you to a specific candidate, but the head coach went out or the the owner went out there and went, ah, I like Hugh instead, and Hugh was a disaster. Um, You know, they didn't. (laughs) uh, Something about Teddy Bridgewater's handshake rubbed them the wrong way, and instead we draft Johnny Manziel. And you know, there's there's only so much you can do to sort of save people from themselves. Ultimately, all the data says one thing. You know, even old school football guys, when they embrace the information that's there are making a lot of smart decisions. You've got guys like John Dorsey, who, you know, came into that organization as a real skeptic of the data, but when you present it in a way he's prepared to digest and understand what it's showing him, it's now, it's a tool, it's, a, it's something that adds to his ability as a football guy to make these smart decisions. But when you throw all of the information out the door and you go, well, you know, I like this guy's handshake, or, you know, this guy's, this guy's girlfriend is hot enough that I'm prepared to, to give him a boost up the rankings, These are the kind of crazy things that people do, and it's patently absurd on the face of it, and that's when you get yourself into trouble.
0: Yeah. Okay, uh, in the build-up to a game like this, the Cincinnati local media, are they paying attention to it, or do you have to flip over to the NFL Network and ESPN to find out that there is a Super Bowl this weekend?
1: No, I mean, everybody... This is one of America's great events, you know, the lead-up to the Super Bowl, so everybody is covering it in some way, shape, or form. Um, I saw a local Pittsburgh station had a picture of Tom Brady at Media Day, and underneath it was captioned, uh, confirmed cheater, I think, something like that. <laughs> so every media market, no matter where you are, is covering in some way, shape or form.
0: Yeah, yeah, what is the perception of uh, Brady and Belichick at this point? Is there a collective yawn from America, or are they actually actively rooting for the LA Rams?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think most people are pretty firmly in the anti-Patriots camp at this point. Just, uh, you know, the way you would be in, any sport where the level of dominance for one team is this pronounced particularly in football where the entire the entire league is set up essentially to prevent this happening you know with the draft with salary caps with all this the entire league is set up to create parity to create the system where anybody can turn from worst to first in basically an off season and despite that the patriots have had this ridiculous sustained level of success because they've had the head coach, the uh, the quarterback, and the unsung hero to the whole thing, the offensive line coach, Dante Scarnecchia They've had all those guys in place for basically the duration of this entire thing. And as long as they're all there, it's not going away anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's mad. Skarnecchia obviously retired for a little while and then was coaxed back. And since he's been back, they've been to the Super Bowl every year.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I was talking to our, uh, Steve Palazzolo in the office about this yesterday. I honestly think he's the guy... Who won't have the story written about him when this whole thing gets put to bed and the history of this is has kind of gone through. But he he might not be the reason that this dynasty exists, but he's probably the reason that it didn't stop a couple of years ago. You know, when he went, that offensive line fell to to ruin in a really quick order. And they needed to get him back to fix it. And when they did, you know, they were able to turn guys like Shaq Mason, the right guard. I, when we were doing college games for the first year, Shaq Mason was a guard at Georgia Tech who run this triple option system, which is basically 100% running. Uh, there's no pass protection sets whatsoever. Um, and he looked fantastic in that. But you're like, I don't, I don't know how you project that guy to the NFL because he's basically never been asked to pass block. He took this guy and made him into a Pro Bowl, all pro caliber guard. He took Marcus Cannon from a disaster, made him into a Pro Bowl player. They took a right tackle from the 49ers who had some weight problems and moved him to left tackle where he's been fine. This does not happen without Skarnecchia there. And without that, Brady probably doesn't have an offensive line good enough to make them compete the way they have been.
0: Yeah, I I went back and watched the um, America's game of Brady's first Super Bowl victory and to see him as this scrawny kid that season... Coming off the bench and, and winning, you're like, wow, this, that is amazing. But there were definitely some throws down the field. It wasn't just dink and dunk the whole season long. It was all the bits and pieces of what he has become were there. They just weren't as pronounced as they become later on in his career. And I'm wondering what what has diminished, if anything, in terms of the physical side of Brady's game because he didn't leave the pocket that much then. There was if there was one there was one. Um, Philly special style pass which he catches and doesn't fall and damage his knee and, and then there was also a five meter five yard run uh, for a touchdown and he's like yeah that's the outer limit of my abilities but what else what has gone really in terms of the physical side of his game
1: I mean that's the thing that's why he's still successful I don't think he's any more physically diminished than he was pretty much at the height of his powers Maybe his arm is a little bit weaker than it used to be, but it's not like arm strength was ever a massive part of his game anyway. He never had, you know, a Patrick Mahomes-type cannon where he was relying on that arm strength on every given play. He's basically the same guy physically that he's always been, which is a marginal athlete who wins with his brain, not with his his arm and his physical tools. And, you know, he's not mobile, but he's still able to navigate the pocket and slip and slide throughout um, and kind of get these guys... Guided past him rather than into him in a way that a lot of quarterbacks struggle with. So this is why This idea that he can play deep into his 40s is not crazy I think the thing that's gonna stop him if it stops him is a Brett Favre kind of cliff Which is he's just gonna take a hit one day where five years ago it wouldn't have done anything but because he's 42 years old it you know it, it damages him some way it causes an injury that's gonna take a while to heal because the older you are, the longer these things take to heal. I think that's the way that Brady is going to get slowed down, not because you know his his physical tools diminish to the point where he's not good enough.
0: Yeah, you, and you even saw that this year with his very slow recovery from what looked like, I mean, we, how, how serious, we don't know. But from a fairly routine trip, he injures his knee and is very slow to recover the type of um, poise that he had. The other thing is uh, the game has changed so much from that time. He, he gets injured in the um, AFC Championship game where... He says three times his ankle gets hit. Now, all of the hits, certainly the one that uh, eventually takes him out of the game, is after the ball is gone. The type of foul that at the moment will get you uh, expelled from the game and a massive fine, and it it just shows that the behavioral change has completely changed the game.
1: Yeah, and that's the other reason he's able to go into his 40s where other quarterbacks weren't, because you don't have to rewind very long um, to find hits that just aren't okay anymore. So the game has changed... To protect quarterbacks in in time with his kind of career so the longer it's gone on the more protected he is and the less hits he's actually taking and the less chance there is of him going down you know if you go back to that 2009 nfc championship game where the saints just went out and absolutely destroyed brett Favre, like brady probably hasn't had a game like that in his career and certainly not over the past few years that's the kind of game that ended brett Favre's. um you know career is the, just this this game of relentless destruction now Favre would always invite a few more of those hits on him than Brady ever will yeah. but Brady's just not going to have a game like that so it's going to take one one or two freak hits that that damage him in a way that he hasn't had so far yeah and I, I think the other thing this means is that all of a sudden these
0: quarterbacks who will last 10 15 20 years maybe if you're like it's possible that Baker Mayfield has a 20 year career it, it's possible that's Maybe Jared Goff doesn't have a 20-year career, but um, Lamar Jackson probably won't. But uh, Sam Darnold might. Sam Darnold's 21, right? So, like, it's yeah. not beyond the band's possibility that it'll be boredom as opposed to injury, which more than likely <laughs> takes him out.
1: Yeah, it, it's a certain style of quarterback, you know, a guy that is extremely good at mitigating the damage that he takes. You know, Brady is one of the best at avoiding taking the hits in the first place, and then you know, getting either lucky enough or um, good enough with your off-the-field preparation, with your you know, TB12 diet, the avocado and water uh, to make it so that the, you know, your physical tools don't diminish that much. I think there will always be a, a factor of anyone that relies on their physical tools a huge amount is probably going to see them diminish um, more than a guy like Brady did, but you know, that's not always the case either because a guy like Brett Favre, I, Brett Favre, I think could roll out tomorrow and still be able to throw an absolute laser down the field at whatever age he is, like 50, you know, the arm diminishing wasn't what slowed Brett Favre down, it was his body breaking down. So yeah. even that is not a sure thing. Um, a, a good piece this week from
0: Peter King where he's uh, basically stalking Sean McVeigh from outside his house in LA and drives with him through the early morning traffic. Um, to the training ground and that's the interview for the week that's the access that he's got and there's a few little nuggets in it um, you know he's listening to audio books he's listening to Mike Lombardi's book being read to him Gridiron Genius to kind of implicate himself in that whole uh, um, system that Lombardi has come from which is the um, Walsh system from San Francisco and you know you can see that him to Shanahan to Mike Shanahan that is to uh, that's a very nice thing and then he also mentions Belichick texting him and apparently Belichick has been a little bit kind of uh, cold this week when he's been asked about it in press conferences and mcveigh is slightly embarrassed about the whole thing and you're like maybe next year uh sean mcveigh doesn't have a journalist ride with him from <laughs> his uh, house to uh,
1: the facility yeah it's probably true i think you know i think belichick probably kind of likes cultivating this aloof you know cold personality of the public i don't think he he particularly loves it when it gets out that you know, behind-the-scenes and to NFL people, I think he's probably quite open and warm and, you know, does things like texting guys like Sean McVay and congratulating for how well they're playing and, you know, how great they look. I, I think he, he doesn't necessarily enjoy it when that stuff gets out.
0: No, so I probably wouldn't be uh, telling anybody again if I was McVay about it, but maybe. Look, who knows? I, I don't know if any of this stuff actually matters in the build-up. Um, until last week when it emerged that the Saints had uh, taken the pre-match audio of um, oh, yeah. one of the opposition saying, one of the Rams guys saying, oh, the Saints, no big deal, we're going to be grand in the Superdome. And then they played it again and again and again and again, and the Jumbotrons pissing off the Rams fans to the point where the decibels level reached so high that the Rams couldn't hear what was going on. So, I mean, everything we always knew about, now oh, it doesn't matter, maybe that's all, maybe that's all nonsense and it does
1: matter. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the Rams certainly do appear to be... I don't know if they're just approaching it that none of this noise matters, or if you know there's an actual strategy behind it. But they are definitely playing sort of fast and loose with the pre-match comments they're making. Between multiple guys saying that the the noise in the Superdome wasn't going to be a factor, and whatever happened with the result, it was a major factor. You know, Jared Goff was out there with duct tape over the holes in his helmet so that he could try and hear the communication coming in. That was they ramped up the noise in that place that game, and it was a definite issue. And then this week you know nickel roby coleman has gone out there saying that brady isn't the player he used to be i think michael brocker has made a similar statement as well i just i don't see the upside to those comments you know i i get that you might be confident enough that you know you, you're not concerned by it but i don't see the win you know just keep your mouth shut don't make the comment and at least you don't lose anything whether it makes a difference or not you're putting and And this is a team that is trying to manufacture this underdog crap, you know? The Patriots have been banging on about this underdog status all the way through the playoffs, and it's complete rubbish. Yeah. But, God, don't feed into it. Like, don't give them more crap to pile on top of that. Why would you try and motivate them like that? Yeah, especially now they're minus
0: two. Uh, So the the money has come for the underdog Patriots to make them two-point favorites for this game. How do these two teams match up when you're thinking about it now, a few days out, and kind of... Let's assume Todd Gurley plays a Todd Gurley-esque role, which I think is quite a big assumption to make at the moment. I'm not sure if he is gonna play uh, his best game of the season or even one of his top 10 games of the season. Um, how do you think these two sides match up? I think they
1: match up pretty well. What's, what's gonna be fascinating is this, this cat and mouse game between um, whether Sean McVay has this viable plan B. You know, We've talked about it before, the plan A is fantastic. And when plan A is on song, This Rams team is basically unstoppable. But when they've had problems this season, it's because people have figured out how to slow down plan A and force them to plan B or dare them to do something else. And either they haven't done it, they haven't taken the dare, or when they have, it just hasn't been quite as effective. And, you know, the Patriots are probably the best in the NFL at taking away the thing that you want to do and forcing you to go to something else. And they're also probably the best in the NFL at doing the reverse So when a team takes away their plan A, they're fine. They'll go to plan B and it's not a problem. I think the one area where, you know, Sean McVay yet hasn't demonstrated this, this kind of comparable Bill Belichick ability is going seamlessly to plan B and being okay. So that's the thing I think to watch early on is, have the Patriots or are they gonna take away this play action passing game, basically flood the coverage zones uh, play with a light box up front, not too many guys stacking up against the run, essentially dare the Rams to run the ball all day. Um, and if they do, will the Rams take that invitation? Because they've only really done that once this season um, against Dallas in the playoffs. And when they haven't done it, they've struggled. So that, I think, to me, is the most fascinating matchup, is will Sean McVeigh kind of Will he be okay playing either side of that, depending on what the Patriots do? Are there any lessons
0: for how the Chiefs played in that second half, for example, against the Patriots, that you can just transpose onto the Rams? Do they have enough similar players? I'm talking offensively here, where eventually they managed to throw off the shackles and they realized that, like... Um, the middle of the New England defense apparently is not as fast as it needs to be. Their linebackers aren't particularly fast. And so if you get your fast guys in a matchup with them, you're going, to wait, you're going to make seven, eight yards at a time and actually be able to move the ball. Can the Rams do that?
1: Yeah, I think they can. I think they may actually be a little bit better positioned to do it than the Chiefs because you know, the, as losing Kareem Hunt or getting rid of Kareem Hunt after that um, video surfaced the Williams was able to pick up the slack when it came to ball carrying, and there was no real drop off between Hunt and Williams. Uh, where there was an issue was they clearly didn't trust Williams to be the same level of receiver and matchup problem out of the backfield that Kareem Hunt was. So that's where they needed him in that game was trying to match him up with you know Dante Hightower in the middle, uh, and those linebackers, and get one on one matchups with the running back. Todd Gurley, you know, whatever you think of him in terms of MVP, in terms of an actual ball carrier, he's a great receiver. And C.J. Anderson is a useful player in that regard as well. So I think those guys could be very valuable weapons uh, in terms of matchup problems against those Patriots linebackers. And Gerald Everett, their second tight end, is also that kind of dynamic playmaker that the Patriots clearly don't have an answer for in terms of an athletic matchup in the middle. So, yeah, I think the Rams, with their screen game, with those athletes, they have the ability to take advantage of that. Okay. Definitely.
0: The other thing is that Aaron Donald is like cresting into all-time great status. Like signs the biggest deal ever until Khalil Mack's deal beats it by a few dollars, as it was described this week. Um, but is is growing with that responsibility. A twenty and a half sack season, playing well in the big games. Even even if there are periods of games where he's not playing well he doesn't quit in those games and he still emerges as somebody who has a meaningful impact on the game. So is this, is this something that the Patriots great and all as Garnecchi's offensive line is shouldn't have the answer for over the course of the four quarters?
1: Yeah. I mean, Donald is phenomenal. He's the best player in the NFL. I think by a reasonable distance at this point and Bill Belichick has talked about it. He is basically unblockable. You can't stop or even slow down Aaron Donald at least in terms of uh, you know a one-on-one matchup. If the Patriots go out there and just try and block Aaron Donald, he will win. Where they can slow him down, though, is essentially uh, neutralizing his impact. And what they've done in the postseason is speed up Brady's average time to throw to a ridiculous level. Uh, his average time to throw in the regular season is like 2.4, 5 seconds, something like that. His average time in the postseason is under 2.2 and if you're averaging under 2.2 seconds to throw donald is not going to get there it's just too fast for a defensive lineman to get pressure on that play and if the rams don't figure out a way of slowing down that patriots passing attack and it has to start on the back end it has to start with disrupting the receivers and slowing them down when they release into their into their roots you know slowing them off the line of scrimmage to make brady hold the ball a beat longer that's what gives Aaron Donald the time, the time to get past his offensive lineman and to make an impact on the play. If they can't slow them down on the back end, the ball's just going to be gone before Donald wins. He will win, but it, it won't be fast enough. So Edelman,
0: um, White, and maybe even Chris Hogan become unbelievably important for that intermediate passing.
1: Yeah, I mean, all of them do. You know, The Patriots are the best in the league at figuring out where the hole in your defense is and just taking that. And I think where Brady's truly the greatest quarterback ever is just patience. You know, the most NFL quarterbacks are not happy just taking five yards a pass attempt every single play. They eventually get frustrated. They want to go deeper down the field. They want to put the points on the board. now they're not prepared to wait. And eventually you can just frustrate most quarterbacks into making a dumb decision, um, or at least taking a lower percentage play. And that's where you beat them. Brady will take the five yards if you give him the five yards every single play. And as long as you're going to do that if he drops back and in one and a half seconds throws the ball to edelman for five yards there's nothing you can do from a pass rush point of view you can't win that quickly and and that's where they're so good and then you know when you tighten up the middle and you try and shut down that play that's what opens up the plays out of the backfield to james white and the you know the sideline rats to chris hogan and to you know even cordero patterson and, and philip dorsett even though they're not great this is what opens up the space for those guys to still be productive so it really is this kind of catch-22 of it's, there's no easy way of slowing these guys down. It is mad that
0: Cordero Patterson, Philip Dorsett and Chris Hogan are three of the key receivers for a team that we're talking about being favorites in the Super Bowl. It, it does kind of suggest that um, most of the things that we think we know about football uh, are wrong unless you are given the opportunity to succeed by having the greatest coach of all time
1: on your team yeah it's it's the coaching and it's the quarterback again like you can't do that if you don't have tom brady who's prepared to you know play the long game and play the patient game and do the things that open up space for those guys and even brady needs help to do that you know when you don't have Jul- julian edelman in that lineup it's a different team you know he opens up that stuff because brady trusts him implicitly to be exactly where he's supposed to be at any given time when Edelman isn't on the field, Brady doesn't trust anybody else to do that. So he holds the ball a little bit longer, and then it doesn't open up the space on the outside. So there's, there's always, you know, NFL football is too complicated for there to ever be one thing at stake. There's always, like, a couple of other factors feeding into something else. So you've got the greatness of the scheme. You've got the greatness of the quarterback. And even the quarterback has got the guy that he relies on in Edelman which can open up space for the guys that he doesn't really trust on the outside to have a, you know, an easier opportunity.
0: So all this being said, what is your pick for who's going to win on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I, I think you've got to go with Vegas. I think the Patriots have to be favorites. I, I think if the Rams you know, do click or do fire on all cylinders, they, fire, they find an answer to slow down this offense a little bit, and you if know, their plan A works, I think they can definitely win this game. I just have real concerns about what they do if Belichick turns up with a good game plan and forces them to plan B, because we just haven't seen them do that enough this season.
0: Yeah, last year's game was uh, a rip-snorter, touchdown, 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 field goal, field goal, and it was like one stop ultimately that decides it. Is this going to be another massive scoring game? Is that what this game is shaping up to be?
1: Yeah, I think it should. I don't know if it'll be massive scoring, but I think there should be, you know, a reasonable number of points. I think both teams, their offense is the stronger unit. These are the two best-graded offenses in the NFL uh, at PFF, if you include the postseason. Um, They're not the two best-graded defenses in the NFL. So, you know, offense should be king in this game. But I think both defenses will figure out a way of slowing down the opposition more than, you know, I don't see it being one of those, a replay of the Kansas City uh, Los Angeles game where it was like you know 50 points a side, 40 plus each side. I think they're going to figure out a way of slowing it down enough, but it should still be plenty of points on the board.
0: Sam, great stuff. Enjoy whatever happens. Thanks a million, man. And time, take it easy, Jack. And stay warm. That's uh, Sam Monson from uh, the Polar Vortex in Cincinnati. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. And um, I don't know if you're into your PFF stuff yet, but if you aren't, you should be. Um, they've got loads of good stuff there that uh, can talk you through exactly what's happening and, and just explain some of the trends that you kind of see in front of your eyes. Um, so here is the record of the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady era. Five Super Bowls, oh one, oh three, oh four. one 3 4 That's the first one. And then 14, 16, and uh, it's going to be 19. Is it, is it going to be 19? Who knows? Two-point favourites here. So um, here's Tom Brady. Now more Super Bowl appearances than every other team in the NFL, apart from the Patriots, obviously. So he's got nine Uh, You've got eight for Dallas, the Steelers, the Broncos, Uh, the 49ers for six, um, who obviously have only lost one. And then it's five for the Giants, Dolphins, the Packers, the Raiders and uh, Washington. But uh, yeah, so that's the record. That's what um, the Rams are up against. Uh, There's the other one. Uh, These are the records that um, Brady and Belichick and New England hold. Most Super Bowl appearances as a player, most Super Bowl appearances as a starting player, as a head coach, as a coach, in any capacity. Belichick with ten. Uh, five Super Bowl wins as QB, five as head coach, four Super Bowl MVPs for Tom Brady. What's going to happen this weekend? Uh, Keen Faye joins us. Um, Keen, how are you? What do you think is going to happen?
2: Um, I think the Patriots are going to win based on their experience versus Jared Goff. Not that they've played Jared Goff before, but I mean their experience playing in these games and matching up to opposing offenses. And Jared Goff still being a very young quarterback. Even if you're quite high on Jared Goff, the idea of facing Belichick for your first time and doing so in the Super Bowl is kind of terrifying.
0: Yeah, Nick Foles was like, meh, no big deal.
2: Nick Foles, to me, had a better supporting cast. Nick Foles, to me, had a better situation. Nick Foles also... like, So here's the thing about Nick Foles. Like, for as much as I laugh at the idea that Nick Foles is going to get paid, he is going to get paid this offseason. And he does have these games where he plays way above his skill set, where he is able to make big throws and he protects the ball. and He just has a great game. Goff is less that way. Goff is kind of consistently who he is. And you're going to get, like, I went through all of Jared Goff's controls this week. I checked every all of his accuracy, checked where all the big players came from, checked how often he was missing big players. It's pretty consistent game to game. Like You know what you're getting in Goff, which is a good thing for the coaching staff because that means they can build around specifically what's happening. But it also means you're not going to get these spike games that you got with folds. I think the, the big key last year, and last year I came on here and I said, the Eagles were going to beat the Patriots, and I expected it to be a lot less close than it was. I expected the Eagles to blow the Patriots out just because of the way the offense matched up to the defense. But that offense last year, while it had, itch, it had its issues because Carson Wentz went, went out and had a couple of bad games late in the regular season, once you hit that later part of the year, the quality of Brandon Brooks, the quality of Jason Peters, or Jason Peters wasn't playing, the quality of Lane Johnson, the quality of all that kind of established the offensive line and set everything up for the quarterback... And I don't feel like the Rams have that same quality. I know they played well through the playoffs, but I feel like Belichick is going to be able to create pressure the same way he did against Patrick Mahomes.
0: Notwithstanding the fact that he did manage to create pressure against Patrick Mahomes, there was that second half where they had a massive lead and they get sucked back into a game. Um, So, I mean, the Patriots have been brilliant in the last two weeks, but, you know, do we just write off the previous 17 weeks and go, well, that was just them getting to this point?
2: No, well obviously we can't do that. And I, One of the things I did this week as well was go back and look at the, at the both championship games with the All-22 cameras and look at exactly how each game went. And the, the thing I was most fascinated by was that Patriots' ability to shut down the, the Chiefs' receivers. Like Sammy Watkins was not a factor, really. Uh, Tyree Kill obviously wasn't a factor. Travis Kelsey. And one of the things you noticed pretty early on was that they were just grabbing, 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 holding everyone. They'd, they would put the safety over Tyree Kill. They would play a press coverage on him take him out forced the ball to go elsewhere, and Stefan Gilmore was just hanging off of Sammy Watkins. It was like he was a kite, and Watkins was running and pulling him through the air. See, If you go even the second pass attempt of the game, it's a deep throw, thrown right down the middle of the field, and it looks like an awful throw for Mahomes. What happens is they doubled hill, they play press on, on Kelsey and give help to Kelsey, and that creates a wide open space for Watkins to run down the middle of the field, and Gilmore is literally just hanging off his jersey. So Mahomes throws the ball, and it goes way off target, and the refs don't call it. And I feel like Belichick's probably going to do quite a bit of that again, where it's the idea that you're going to dare the officials to call it every single play, and the officials aren't going to call it every single play because they, like the rest of us, are human and they want this game to keep moving. In the second half, you've got a key defensive pass interference penalty on a deep sideline shot where they started calling it a little bit more, that helped open up the offense a little bit. That kind of forced the defensive backs to step back a little bit and not be as aggressive. And that led to that scoring output in the second half.
0: OK, I have a prediction, though, on the basis of what happened at the end of the Saints game, that everything will be called for the first five minutes, first, five, first two possessions for both teams. So maybe that changes things a little bit.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with you that it's going to be, like, they're going to want to make a statement. Like, this is the ridiculous thing about the NFL, where the losers lost, so they're complaining, and now the NFL, I literally just saw as a tweet from Adam Schefter saying they're, changing, they're looking at changing the rules so the officials can now challenge their own calls and go review pass interference plays, which is just ludicrous because it's not going to please anyone. Like, the idea of just kind of trying to satiate the team that lost, it's never going to work because they lost. They're going to find a thing to complain about when they lose. So in this game, yeah, because it's on... Super Bowl, grandest stage, bigger stage, whatever way you want to put it. Yeah, there's going to be a start to this game where every single little thing is called. Every single little thing is pushed on. And I don't know who that necessarily favor, uh, is, is favored for. Because my interesting thing about this is, I'm in mean, the minority, I feel like, where I think the Patriots are going to spread the Rams out and throw the ball short and try and get the ball out quickly to avoid Aaron Donald, which is not what the Saints did. The Saints wanted this vertical passing game where they were holding the ball a little longer. That's how he threw his interception in overtime. He was trying to push the ball downfield on a slow-developing route, which left Aaron Donald come into the game. But I'm in the minority here because a lot of people think they're going to take the same game plan they had in the AFC Championship game, where they're going to run the ball over and over and over again in the Rams, which theoretically is a good idea. But I just remember that Falcons game from two years ago where everyone expected them to run because they were bigger than the Falcons' defensive front. And they came out throwing all game, obviously they put them in a hole initially and in the second half they came back, but it just feels like they're going to put this game in Brady's hands and trust him to go and win it.
0: Yeah, and throw the ball to James White a lot, 20 times.
2: Yeah, well, James White obviously isn't going to come into the pass interference uh, part because he's generally catching these checkdowns and turning up field. And James White has been so, so good. He, he's basically, like, he's not their number one receiver, obviously. When Gronkowski's healthy, he's their number one receiver. And Edelman's a primary option. But when they throw to James White, it never seems like oh, he has drops or whatever and he has plays where he doesn't get the first down line. But it never seems like the ball goes to him in a bad situation. It's always a tough matchup. And Alvin Kamara against the Rams, linebackers, Corey Littleton and... Uh, whoever else I think it was Barron they tried to put on him a few times whoever he was working on against that Rams defense he was always open the Saints made major mistakes by not looking for Kamara more often they looked at him more in the second half they had, I think he had four, sorry, six targets in a row where he moved the offense down the field and every time he got the ball he was too fast for our linebackers James White is not Alvin Kamara but James White can expose those linebackers in that mismatch as well and if you can do that it's going to force them to adjust the same way they did against the Saints, where they would put a second defender kind of checking Kamara out of the backfield, slowing him down originally, then another defender would pick him up. And if you do that against the Patriots, Brady's going to recognise that very quickly and go to a, a better mismatch. Edelman's going to have a little bit more space. Gronk is going to be open downfield. Even Chris Hogan might get more involved.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you're saying makes a whole heap of sense when you consider that and Suh has played really well the last two games and is a one-man run-stopper. So why the hell would you run the ball into him? I mean, maybe... You send Sony Michel up a couple of times, soften him up a little bit, but like completely pointless in the long run.
2: Well, the interesting thing there is the Patriots have had phenomenal play from their interior offensive line. Their guards in particular, I think it's Thune and Mason, they have both been outstanding. So that's a good matchup for them in theory. Obviously, Aaron Donald, no one matches up well to him. But if you're talking about just getting not getting blown up, I guess, you, you can have those two there and trust them a little bit more than you would normal pair of guards. Where you kind of get interesting to me is with uh, Dante Fowler coming off the edge. I feel like Dante Fowler in Jacksonville was just a guy. He was fine. He was starting caliber defensive end, but not someone who was a massive difference maker. He was the guy who got the breeze for the interception at the end of that t- Saints game. But even outside of that play, he just looked much better in Los Angeles than he did in Jacksonville. And I, I was kind of thinking to myself, is it Aaron Donald impact where Aaron Donald's getting so much attention that he's just playing, he's getting more space to work in, he's getting better matchups. But in Jacksonville, they had Clarence Campbell, they had Malik Jackson, they had all these other guys who were drawing attention too. So I think there's just something maybe that Wade Phillips has taught him up on or whatever. But he's showing off much better footwork, he's showing off more explosion, he's more violent with his hands. And he could be a key part of this game because if, you're, if the Patriots focus on that interior rush and then Brady gets, uh, has to hold the ball a little bit longer, he invites that edge rush to come in then you've got problems. Like they had last year, the only play-in from last year's Super Bowl was that forced fumble from Brandon Graham, I think it was, he coming off the edge. So Fowler is capable of doing that. He's not gonna win around the edge as much as, he, as he's gonna win across the face of the tackle and penetrate through the pocket.
0: Yeah. So the game plan from the uh, offensive point of view for the Pats is get the ball out early and often and spread the field and, and make those guys have to worry or at least think, oh, is that going over my shoulder? Do I need to stop that? And that's fairly obvious. If, that, if that's what the game plan is, and, and if they go to that, how do you stop that?
2: Um, well, the, the interesting thing here is Nickel Robbie Coleman is going to be a very, very important piece on this defense, I think, because obviously he like okay, so you, you have to look at cornerbacks, and generally how you look at cornerbacks is you look at their frame. if you 're a six foot two cornerback with long arms and long limbs, you can't really turn as quickly as a guy who's in, in general. some there are exceptions obviously there are some guys who are spectacular, but in general. You can't really turn with a guy who's five foot ten, short, and has very quick, very quick movement. So you can't take a to leave and say he's our best cornerback. Julian Edelman's their most important receiver. Let me put a key leave on Julian Edelman, and that will shut him down. You have to go with Nickel Roby Coleman, who is very short, who's five foot eight, five foot nine. I think he's literally nickel in his name. He is their nickel cornerback. He's going to stay inside because Max Peters can't do it either. He's taller and ranger as well. So it kind of depends how, you, how much help you try and give to Edelman. With Coleman, I think you have a linebacker kind of cheating his way a lot. You have, uh, you have safeties playing a little bit over the top and trying to split the outside receiver with the inside receiver. But I don't feel like they're going to try and push the ball downfield. I don't think Hogan will be a big factor. I don't think Philip Dorsett's going to be any factor at all. I think it's going to be Edelman working underneath. It's going to be Gronk trying to work the seams, getting a safety matchup. And from the Rams' point of view... John Johnson's a good safety. LaMarcus Joyner is talented but inconsistent. There's no kind of matchup where you think, oh yeah, we've got this locked down, except with Tlaib on Hogan, or if Tlaib plays Gonkowski and then Peters on whoever else comes after that. Edelman is going to be the problem, and I know it's kind of boring to point out because he's often the problem, but in this specific matchup, it feels like the offense is going to go through him and James White all game.
0: Yeah, okay. Again, that makes sense. So, say that all happens and um, the Patriots move the ball relatively easy, um, then it, it... is completely up to the Rams' offense to keep them in the game and to win the game for them. Are they good enough to do that? And does Todd Gurley need to be uh, early season Todd Gurley if that's going to happen?
2: Well, this is one of the things I wanted to look at specifically this week, and I wrote an article about it on Patreon, where Todd Gurley has not had, like, he's had a fine season receiving He's had more drops this year than he had last year. I think it's 7 drops this year on 64 or 69 accurate targets. Last year it was 3 drops on on 64. I think it was something like that. Either way he's dropping the ball a lot more this year. But the bigger issue is He is not creating as much after the catch as he did last year. Last year, he had three 40-plus-yard plays. I think the, the Rams had seven in total. He had more than most teams on his own. He's only had one so far this year, but he also had a bunch more plays where he was gaining more than 20 yards. And this year, that hasn't been the case either. And it's a big key with Goff, because if you beat Goff at the snap, and what I mean by that is if the defense called doesn't give Goff an open receiver to throw to initially, he's more likely to check the ball down to Gurley regardless of what the coverage is. So if there's a defender standing right next to Gurley, he'll still throw him the ball, or he's going to throw the ball away. He throws the ball away quite a bit. So if you can force the defense to do that, you're putting the ball, or if you can force the offense to do that from a defensive perspective, you're putting the ball in Gurley's hands, but you're putting the ball in Gurley's hands in a position that's disadvantageous to him. He's somewhere he's about to be tackled. He has regularly, over the course of his career, caught a ball like that with a defender on him and just made him miss completely, Blown, blown past and gone down the sideline there's a play against the Saints from the regular season game not last week's game where Goff checks the ball down to him he's got one on one with a linebacker in space he sets the linebacker up inside breaks outside runs past him instead of a It was a second and 14 play. Instead of it being third and 12 or third and 11, they've got a first and 10 down in the red zone already because of Gurley's ability to make that defender miss. And I think that's going to be key. Because if you're Bill Belichick, you can put everyone in the right position. You can put Kyle Van Noy in space. You can have all these assignments done perfectly. We know exactly what's going to happen. What you can't do is tackle that guy for, for the defender. And Todd Gurley, for as much as Todd Gurley has struggled over recent weeks, He is the toughest guy in the league to get to the ground once he's in space. He can run away from you. He can run through you. He can make you miss with subtle movements. He can set you up before he even catches the ball. He's done that quite often too, which is a a Michael Crabtree thing where your posture defines where you're going. The defender reacts to that, and then you go the opposite direction. So I feel like this game could actually, like weirdly enough, could come down to how those checkdowns go because those determine if you're punting or if the drive extends and continues and you get into scoring range. And that's a huge thing, even though it kind of will look like a very small play.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would think the uh, the football gods would be complete arseholes if uh, they don't let Todd Gurley at least appear in this game fully fit or close to being as close to being fully fit as he can. Like I, I, it felt like he wasn't fit with the drops, and then he got punished because he looked okay when they were when he scored the touchdown just before halftime. So part of it felt like he was being punished for not being match sharp. And then how- I think
2: one of, my, one of my theories or one of my concerns has been that like, okay, he scored 21 touchdowns this year in, in the season. Last year, he also had a huge workload. I'm, like, he, said, he said this week, I'm not hurt. If I was hurt, I'd be on an injury report. And I think it might be the case that he's not specifically hurt anymore, that the knee injury isn't a problem anymore. But maybe we're seeing a guy who has had a huge workload over the last two seasons. Hmm. And Sean McVay is looking at him going, C.J. Anderson's fresh. You're worn down a little bit. The gap between the two of you in terms of effectiveness in this offense isn't that high. So I went with C.J. Anderson. I think the two-week break is going to be huge. Getting a bye week after, getting, getting an extra, not just getting an extra two weeks, but getting that rest and getting his body to regenerate a, a bit, I guess. I don't know, perhaps probably the wrong word. But getting him just that bit fresher and healthier, I think that's huge for him. And I do, I do believe McVay, when he says he's going to put the offense running through him and he's going to focus on getting him the to touches more early in the game. Yeah. Do the Patriots' defense match up well against him? No, no one matches up well against him. <laughs> you need Todd Gurley to beat yourself. The only, time, the only time Todd Gurley has ever been truly shut down was when Jeff Fisher was running that offense, and he had four plays, and he ran the same four plays every game, so everyone knew what to do and just clapped all over them. Todd, right. Todd Gurley is a generational football player and one of the best players in the league. Just because he's had bad games on primetime, we should not overlook how good he is.
0: OK, so you think he's going to make a comeback, and then this game should be a bit of a classic.
2: Uh, yeah, let's go with that. We'll let, we can hope for it.
0: yeah with the Patriots winning is, that, is how you're trending at the moment
2: yeah but well, like you actually you mentioned it might be a classic it feels like every time the Patriots are in the Super Bowl it's a classic and I read somewhere this week that they of, of whatever six Super Bowls seven Super Bowls they've been in almost all of them except for that Eagles won last year have been decided between, within three points so if you want to just take the points and take, take the over I guess that's kind of a safe thing to do with the Patriots
0: yeah Kane, enjoy it thanks a million man thanks mate it's Kane uh, Vag giving us um, some thoughts ahead of the Super Bowl. Sue is here. How are you? How are your picks in the
3: in the championship games?
0: I can't even remember. It's so long ago.
3: Sorry, I had the Saints and the Patriots. Yeah. In championship.
0: You couldn't go against the Saints.
3: No, I, I wouldn't know. have. I wouldn't have. Yeah. Let's not talk about that anymore.
0: Ah, come on. So <laughs> you said that you weren't going to watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. Changed your mind?
3: I only changed my mind because of one reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the one that you're. Yeah. Okay.
3: Tony Roma. and he's just been like. I read an article, Steve O'Rourke wrote a great article about him this week and it was just about how you feel like you're more intelligent about football when you walk away from a game of Tony Romo it. And I just think he's, he gets so, like, I watched him, we were in the States when he was commentating on one of the Browns games and he was so excited about Baker Mayfield. Like, it was brilliant to listen to him. Yeah. And I, ju- I just, every time I... I think it was last year I watched a Falcons game and he was just giving in depth reports about all the players. He knew all the plays, he knew, nearly knew the score.
0: It feels like he's still doing the work because some players come out of being involved and know stuff from just then. Yeah. And they played against these players. Now obviously, he still played against these players. And you know, it's like he's not like he's gone a very long time. Yeah. But uh, you still get the sense that he's getting access, people are telling him stuff. Yeah. For the telecast, that he's not going to share until afterwards, which yeah. is weird. You know that these very super secretive teams, like the Patriots, yeah. are giving Romo information.
3: Yeah,
0: I mean, obviously there's a bit of disinformation going on too. But
3: yeah, but he's still. I think he's still able to make a lot of the play calls himself. Though, so. like I just I, there was a there was a play last week. Can't remember what it was, but it was a. Oh, I know what they're going to do here. It's going to be a trick play. They're going to do that, and it was exactly like he mapped it out. Like he yeah. he picked out where the player would be on the pitch. Yeah, it's insane. Like he's unbelievable. Like it's like he knows everyone's playbook. I just anyway, so he'll be quite enjoyable. I'm kind of sorry I didn't watch the Chiefs and Patriots because I had my storming session and it was like I'm never watching NFL again because I missed him commentating on it
0: oh yeah well uh, then, then that might have been some of the, certainly in the second half he was uh, unbelievably excited well that was an amazing final 10 minutes final 8 minutes of that game yeah. uh, the over is 56 and a half the New England Patriots are minus 2 mm. and the Patriots are 4 to 3 on the Rams are 11 to 10
3: mm.
0: there ain't a lot of value in any of these no there isn't like, 56 and a half would be 36-20 26-30 it's probably going to go over, isn't
3: it? It's not a great, like it's not a great bet. I mean, I I think we are we pretty sure the Patriots are going to win. Like I I for me it always comes down to in these games it's the experience of somebody in a Super Bowl and it's first Super Bowl nerves against somebody who's like a season player who knows exactly what he's doing and had almost like rests himself all year to get to playoffs, and Brady's, Brady's just unbelievable. Like, his record in Super Bowl is unbelievable. I think they'll have this whole game mapped out. They'll know exactly what they're gonna be doing. I don't, I don't think the Rams are gonna, I think they'll be way too jittery. I don't think they are gonna be
0: too jittery. I don't know, because like, the Eagles weren't in any mm. way jittery last year.
3: Oh, I, I actually no. thought the Eagles were gonna be really jittery last year, well. So I couldn't believe how calm they were.
0: Yeah, when you think back though, Cam Newton and the first snap, it was like, oh my God, it's gonna be a disaster. <laughs> and it was he just couldn't yeah, it really get anything was. going he really, yeah. he really choked that day which um,
3: is really disappointing
0: but I don't expect like this team has enough well maybe it doesn't if Gurley if Gurley doesn't yeah. play well if he's not fully fit if he, he is the same as he was and if Goff yeah. chokes then that team's screwed they can't recover from that yeah. but if Gurley played well even if Goff chokes they can get mm. into the game and Goff has a little bit of time to get going
3: yeah. but. I think the defence are going to win it though if they are going to win it I think it's defence wins Super Bowls <laughs>
0: keep to leave 100-1 to one, if for uh, MOTM
3: yeah I, 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 or MVP like their defence was unbelievable all season like Donald's just amazing he's going to get to Brady so if
0: they if they are going to win mm. yeah I I'm, like Aaron Donald's only 13-1 to one. that's not great <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I wouldn't
3: mind have, that, like, I, I th- don't like I actually think it's going to be quite a good game but I just I can't stand either of
0: those Make us some money here, I so have, I, how, so you're taking the. I
3: take the Patriots. Taking the Patriots yeah. minus two. Yeah, I just would go. I'd be like that with any sport, though. I think you'd look at it and go, "Who's going to be the most calm under pressure? Who would I trust with thirty seconds left in the game to be able to do something amazing? I would trust Tom Brady.
0: Tom Brady passing yards, um, plus two hundred and ninety-one, is
3: eleven to ten.
0: On, mm. I think he's going to get that. Yeah. That's, I absolutely uh, think he's going to get that. I think that's a good bet. Pass yeah. completions last year, this was forty something, and uh, that was the bet. It's over twenty six and a half. I think he's going to get think that. I've
3: got that.
0: Yeah, I think you could have that and yeah. the Tom Brady over, and you're getting uh, two evens, and uh, it's not giving me a calculation on that, but whatever.
3: <laughs> I would, I would, Brett and Brady. I'd say it like, especially out of those interviews as well after the Chiefs, where he was like, "Oh, they said we were too old. They said we couldn't do it." He, I definitely feel like he thinks I have point to prove here and I'm going to prove it.
0: I mean, it's mad that he's the greatest player of all time and mm. he's got the, word written off. Somebody did ask him, uh, who actually
3: wrote you off, time?
0: And of course he couldn't name names. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: so. I mean, you think I read the names of the little Lilliputians <laughs> who are, I don't even Can I, are you a human being?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I think, like, I don't like him. And I think they're a game of cheats. It's a game of cheats.
0: Well, there you go. No That's feel about it. No bitterness I used whatsoever. I to like
3: the Rams. I used to really like the Rams. I really like Sean McVay. I would like if it wasn't against the Saints, I would have been totally up for them here. I hate both those teams.
0: <laughs> James White receiving yards over fifty.
3: James White had an unreal season as well, though. Like not... you have to admit, like with the season they had in the regular season, nobody would have put them in this position. It is unbelievable that they are in a Super Bowl.
0: The AFC is shite. It's <laughs> one of the Well, there.
3: no, they, they well they had a couple of tough games along the way. They had the Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs. Yeah,
0: they beat the Chiefs. Beat the. Beat,
3: beat the Chiefs. To beat.
0: Who wet the bed every time they get anywhere.
3: I know. Well, Mahomes. That's what I'm saying though. Mahomes is a young guy. He is, yeah.
0: You yeah.
3: know he'll be back.
0: He will be back, and he'll crush them.
3: Yeah.
0: And he won't forget this, and he'll win and year Brady after will year. Be
3: Sixty-two at the time, still playing.
0: Uh, so Tom Brady over twenty-six and a half <laughs> past completions. Oh, with past completions not attempts. Mm. Yeah. I'm taking it and I'm taking Tom Brady over 295, I think to 291 come yards. They're
3: going to come out and they're just going to hammer them in the uh, first quarter. I think they'll go for it in the first quarter. So
0: that's it and you're taking the Patriots minus two. Mm-hmm. Sue, so, thanks for being with us. That is your lot this week from the uh, NFL pod. If you have any questions for us you can hit us up on Twitter at Ball or uh, whatever you want. Hit us and we'll answer those questions for you. Cheers.